Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. That's the fact, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love you, people. I'm strong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. Ah! And now, he is Armstrong and Getty. So I was reading about this the other day, and I thought you might find it interesting. Everybody's predicting that China will pass the U.S. as the biggest economy on Earth by 2030 or whatever. You know, different people throw out different numbers. But uh, this piece uh, written by, who is this written by? It's really good. I'll tell you later. But the nightmare scenario for Xi is that China could follow the same trajectory as Japan, also touted as a potential challenger to the U.S. before it crashed three decades ago. combination of reform failure, international isolation, and financial crisis could halt China before it reaches the top. It's also worth mentioning, mentioning that China's official GDP data is almost certainly exaggerated, and so they have a bigger gap than it appears. And then they go into some technical stuff about the three factors that determine an economy's growth rate. That's a workforce. Uh, capital stock, everything from factories to transport infrastructure to communications networks. And finally, there's productivity or how effectively those first two can be combined. And in each of those areas, China faces an uncertain future at best, like their workforce. They have a demographic nightmare going on thanks to their longtime one-child policy. Nobody's having kids. And if fertility stays low, it's projected to shrink by more than 260 million people in the next 30 years. And and they mentioned that China's trying to, they've raised the limits and they're encouraging people. And they quote a young Chinese worker who says, the reason I haven't bought three Rolls Royces is not because the government wouldn't let me. In other words, saying children are expensive and, and, and you know, challenging. And I'm just, uh, they don't have a culture of having Big families. In fact, they hardly have a culture of having families at all. And it takes a long time to turn that sort of thing. Hmm. Then they mentioned the outlook for capital spending isn't quite so bleak, although they've overbuilt and there are ghost towns full of empty buildings, six-lane highways, so it's not clear if they need more anytime soon. And then they get to the key part. All of China's rise over the last 40 years or so has been with the full enthusiastic cooperation of the world economic community, particularly the Western democracies. That is changing rapidly, including and, and notably, including for a long time, it, it, turning a blind eye to them stealing billions of dollars worth of intellectual property. They would steal all this stuff and we'd just let them because we thought it was in our best interest somehow. God, what a dumb idea that was. But uh, now, at least, we're calling them out whenever they do it. Right. You know, it's like I'm running a car dealership, and this guy comes in, he buys a lot of cars, but every time he's in there, he steals, you know, a photocopier or something like that. It's barely worth it, but we keep doing business because he buys so many cars. But they point out uh, global ties are starting to fray. Recent Pew survey found 76% of Americans had an unfavorable opinion of China. It's a record high. And then they aren't alone. The blame over the origins of COVID, mounting concerns about human rights in Xinjiang, uh, Hong Kong's draconian national security law have all helped darken the global view of China's rise. And if ties with the U.S. and its allies continue to fray, the cross-border flow of ideas and innovations that they steal so much is going to begin to dry up. So it'll be interesting to watch. But China's uh, 
rocket fuel is starting to be withheld appropriately by the West. Because we finally figured out their game. I was just reading a scholarly paper by this gal who used to teach at their indoctrination university, and she ended up defecting to the West. And she said, "What? Uh, who was the guy who wrote the, the 100-year marathon? I don't uh, remember his name. Herman Melville. That's right. Um, but he was talking about Michael how naive. Pillsbury. Michael Pillsbury. Yeah, he was uh, with the Nixon administration when they opened China. And was uh, briefly in the bakery business. They called him the doughboy. But anyway, uh, he pointed out how naive we've been. She said the same thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. China has been smiling at you, but 100% planning to stab you in the back. It has nothing to do with friendship. We're just using you. So I think everybody's hip to that. Nixon did not open. Funny, one of the biggest pieces of American political history has been wrong for half a century. Nixon didn't open China. They lured us in. It's completely wrong. We were wrong all these years. Anyway, that's one story. Uh, I got my bike stolen over the weekend, which uh, is really annoying to me. It was a very expensive bike, and I really liked it. I bought it used on eBay, so I didn't pay the full price for it, but it was still a very expensive bike. And um, I grew up, uh, I'd never heard of locking a bike until I was in my mid to late 20s. I grew up uh, in a town where people rode bikes around and never locked them. Then even when I went to college in a different town, nobody locked their bikes. I never saw a bike really? lock in my wow. life. Heck no. Heck wow. no. That's great. Just just unthinkable. I left my motorcycle helmet on my motorcycle my whole life until I was like 25 um, and moved to a big city. It's just, just crime is so, so cultural. Mm-hmm. It's so much about culture. And we have now created a culture in this country, uh, or we're working on creating a new crime culture. We're going backwards, as we all know. It's why 75% of Americans believe crime is on a rise, and a majority of Americans think crime is on the rise where they live. Um, we're, uh, we've turned a blind eye to uh, petty theft and everything like that, and now the culture's turned around. But anyway, I was very disappointed. Went to the swimming, swimming pool for the first time this year with the kids. We all rode our bikes over there, which is kind of a fun family thing to do. I even locked them up. And uh, somebody who knows bikes spotted my bike, somehow apparently unlocked my lock, took my bike, and left my kids' bikes there. Didn't even take my kids' bikes. So somebody was looking for high-end bikes. They unlocked the lock? They didn't they cut must it or have, anything? They must have, because the, the when I got back, after we got done swimming, my kids' bikes were still locked up with the same lock. And my bike was gone. That's odd. But yeah, it is. And then I talked to a buddy of mine who said, oh, those bike locks? He said, look at YouTube videos. He said, me and my daughter did this for fun weekend. One weekend, we went over YouTube videos. You can learn how to pick one of those bike locks. Most of them are easy to pick. A couple of tiny little tools that you can buy, and almost anybody said it's, it's, it's kind of a fun project to learn how to open all those things up. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, so it turns out bike locks are like most locks and security that we all have. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It, it's a tiny barrier. It's like roots out probably the bottom tier of opportunists. Yeah, mo- most people don't know that the average door can be kicked in by a medium sized man. And you feel like you're safe when you put your little hook lock on it or whatever. Apparently, bike yeah. locks are the same thing. Anyway, it was very disappointing to me. And so I went around to bike stores and stuff like that and asked what happens to him. And he says, usually they get, they take him out of town. Uh, they get to swap him into a different town. And it's interesting to me that there's a cross section of people that, no high-end bikes and are willing to steal. Unless they're just bike thieves. I mean, they're not like bike enthusiasts. Sure, it's their business. They're just thieves. How much Mm -hmm. money could you make off of that? I mean, it seems like it would be so much work 
to travel around towns trying to spot bikes and then turn them, I'm guessing, for, you know, not getting near what you should out of them. Um, if you put that much effort with all the help wanted out there, if you put that much effort into a real job, you wouldn't have to look over your shoulder all the time. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess, although they probably, especially in your blue states, have figured out that the risks are incredibly low. And even if they get caught, what, are you going to bust them for a single bike? I mean, my, my, I bought a, a really expensive mountain bike used. And so at this point, uh, even a public defender could argue it's a misdemeanor to steal it. It's probably worth a thousand bucks or, or 1500, but they could say it's 950. And so th- there's no risk. Yeah. They get essentially a ticket. And if you, if you go around, they know the brands, it's their business. And, uh, and, and you steal, I don't know, say, uh, 10 bikes a day worth 500 to a thousand dollars. That's a pretty good paycheck. Yeah, you're right about that, though. And part of the contributing to the culture, part of it is just, uh, well, it all fits together. But the fact that you're, if you get caught in the act, if I caught, if I walked out while they were stealing my bike, almost certainly nothing would have happened to them. Well, so what's the risk involved? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think every, every public pool, every library, every park where bikes are stolen ought to hire a couple of burly guys with ball bats. And they find somebody stealing a bike, they break both their arms. Hey, uh, good news, you're not going to have to sign any forms because we're not going to charge you. But you come back again, we're going to break your arms on site. All right, have a good day. Bye. And then I go inside to the swimming pool and tell them what happened. And I said, see, you got, my, my son noticed you got cameras out there. Do you have that footage? He said, yeah, they're not hooked up to anything. <laughs> There's a shot. I said, well, those, they aren't really doing much then, are they? Security uh, theater. Yeah, I'd never even thought about that. If I had caught the guy in the act of stealing my bike and called the police, I don't even know if they'd have showed up. And if they had, uh, it would, wouldn't have been much of a crime. So, right. You know, wh- oh, yeah, you could have stood there and talked to the guy. You say, go ahead. And then the other end of the annoyance of this whole thing is there's such a bike shortage, just like there's a shortage of everything. I was shopping for bikes over the weekend. There's practically hardly any bikes in the whole, whole country. I mentioned this stuff a couple of times. We uh, told my son we we're going to get him a, a bike for his uh, uh, for Christmas. That was many months ago. There are hard, there's like three kids' bikes in the entire United States. Every wow. bike shop in the country is waiting for bikes to trickle in one by one, and they're usually spoken for by the time they get there. And everything oh. is like that. I got a garage full of bikes. I got to see what I can oh, get for. Oh yeah, used bikes are just like used cars are at a premium right now. Huh. Hmm. Anyway, my greed bone just started humming. Um. What did you tease? Or something we were going to talk about when we come back here? My nah, memory's faulty. Remember. Oh, the uh, cardboard beds at the Olympic Village designed <laughs> to uh, discourage the old uh, two-person trampoline. What? What? The That's old, the old pole vault, if you hear me talking. No, I don't hear you talking. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Speaking of folks leaving various towns, the according to the Orlando Business Journal, uh, Disney Corp is moving 2,000 jobs from Southern California to Orlando, building a big new campus. Uh, various figures are denying that it has anything to do with the fact that one uh, state is extremely uh, uh, business positive and friendly, and the other practically punishes you for for even trying to be in business. Uh, but it's pretty clearly at least part of it. 
And finally, the Nevada woman we accused, well, I didn't accuse her, but read about it last week, accused of breaking into a dental office, stealing cash from it, and pulling more than a dozen teeth, despite not having a medical license. Jeez, that makes my mouth hurt thinking about it. I'm not sure why you'd say more than a dozen teeth when it was 13 teeth. That is clearly more than a dozen, but why wouldn't you just say freaking know. 13? I don't know. Well, and, and journalism is so bad. You know, it's, it's a bunch of kids, uh, fresh out of college, looking for a job, told to produce clickbait. And then they have no facts and they don't ask the obvious questions. Well, I've, I've dug up some more information. This woman performed a procedure to extract 13 teeth from one individual. Barbaric! Oh. And, and used anesthetic disposed of by the dental office. That'd be apparently. all of my teeth. Yeah. So, uh, but again, okay, I'll, I'll just read it to you. And then That's I'll get right. To my I have 13 teeth. Well, I, I wasn't going to call you on that. It's, it's, Luckily, a good chunk of them match up, because if they don't yeah. match up, you can't chew meat, but enough of them match up that I can chew. You know, your mouth is half full. That's the way I yeah, look at it. Sure. You, look you could the... say, look, he's lost 19 teeth. Or you could say he still has 13. You can look you know, at your mouth half full or half empty, depending on your view of life. My exactly. mouth is half full of teeth. You know, several of the 13 you got left are uh, brownish. But, you know, the, the brownish. Well, the one's pretty brown. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, the disturbing incident came to light during an investigation into a May 3rd break-in at the Reno dentist office. An after-hours alarm sent deputies to the scene that night. They found an open drawer, open door, a broken window, a disturbed cash drawer. Uh, the burglar stole nearly $23,000 in cash and checks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's not clear at all in this article whose old toothless bill in this scenario. <laughs> whose freaking teeth did she yank? <laughs> Was it somebody who had a lot of dental problems, and she said, "You know, I saw a YouTube video. I'll give it a try." Well, if and, <laughs> was it somebody who came in needing a whole bunch of teeth pulled, and so it wasn't that shocking, or is like me going in for a cleaning, and all of a sudden they, and we're gonna have to pull like a third of your teeth? What? <laughs> or was it somebody who knew this woman, who's oh, unfortunate-looking gal? Was she trying to even up things in the world by uh, making more toothless people out there? I don't know if her mother fell in love with a wild hog or what, but it's it's again, unfortunate looking gal. Um, So it's not clear whether this guy, this individual came with her and said, God, my teeth hurt. Do me a favor, would you? Can you yank out all my teeth? I'm sure we can rummage around in the garbage and find a little half used uh, canisters of nitrous oxide. But anyway, in answer to Jack's question from last week, it was one individual who's now light 13 teeth. Mm. But questions remain. What is it with all the dating shows where contestants can't see each other? There are now a whole bunch of those dating shows where you either wear a mask or you're behind a wall or you're in the dark or something. Hmm. Dating shows where you can't see the other person. I find that whole thing pretty fascinating. It would have to really mess with your mind if you... Had a whole bunch of dates with somebody you never saw, and you just came to believe, man, this is, a, I really, really like this person. Like wow. everything about him. And then you see them in your brain. And not all of this is, um, superficial. We've talked about this a lot. I, you're, you're, we're designed to make babies with certain people. We just are. Women, in my case. That's, well, but, you know, you can line up eight 
objectively attractive women, very, very attractive, but there's a couple that make you go, oh, my God, I'm in love with her. And then the rest of them, you don't. What's Mm -hmm. that all about? Well, there's something going on there. Nobody really completely understands. And if you and if you saw them and for whatever reason, your brain says, no, you don't want to mate with those people. And but in your 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 rational part, you've already made the decision. No, no, no. We're a good match. I really like this person. I'll be friends. Wouldn't that be lovely? And do it. (laughs) With benefits, if you're going to go there and you shouldn't go there anyway. But if you're going to go there, a little manners, please. Okay. I don't know. So, so the idea I was when you said dating show, I was picturing like, like the dating game or the newlywed game. Where you're there in a TV studio. Okay, but no, this is actually you're going out on dates with the uh, bemasked person. Well, no, well, these are these are TV shows contestants. They got all kinds of different ways to put it right. together. But just in general, I think that's interesting. The idea of the most important part we would all we tell ourselves or say is who they are. Their personality. But then the way your the rest of your brain would say, no, eh, 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 do not mate with this person. Or maybe it goes the other direction. Maybe you even like them more once you see them. I don't know. I'm surprised, given the, the mysteries of love and how they've uh, fascinated humankind since the beginning, I'm surprised there aren't, like, major university studies going on of this stuff. Maybe there are. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, why do... Two people become especially attracted to each other, as opposed to all the other people they run into yep. in their lives. Right? No kidding. the The mysteries of love, dude. They Where might they might just figure out there are like eight different pheromones, and you know this one responds to two of the others in the opposite sex. In the uh-huh. case of you know opposite sexiness. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Here's Armstrong and Getty. So the Biden administration put out a guide to getting back in school after the COVID and how you should spend the billions of dollars that were unnecessarily hosed around the country, including <laughs> in, just like, you know, it's cleaning out the elephant pen style hose, just money, just spray it all over the country. Nobody cared where it went or who got it. And it's still spraying today. Anyway, so they put out this big uh, guide for schools and it included uh, the money thing and said, hey, you should spend a significant amount of of the money on uh, on uh, you without using the words critical race theory. You should uh, spend it in dividing all the little children by race and lecturing the white children and saying how they're bad. And, and bear the weight of history and be sure to convince the black children they don't have a chance in America because it's systemically racist and blah, blah, blah. And it included several links, one in particular. If you want more information, uh, uh, click on this link for this fine organization. At this point, uh, we will turn things over to, there it is, uh, Aisha Hosni on Fox News. Clip number 50, please. President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan authorized $122 billion to the Department of Education for state education agencies. 90% of that money will go to local school districts, which in turn must reserve at least 20% to address the learning lost during the last school year. The administration asks they do that by using evidence-based programs like summer learning and after-school activities. But that's not all. 
Inside the Department of Ed's COVID-19 handbook called Roadmap to Reopening Safely and Meeting All Students' Needs, the department recommends schools use some of the money towards race and social-emotional learning programs, offering a direct link to a group called the Abolitionist Teaching Network, who would assist with that. Abolitionist Teaching Network, a network that is dedicated to not creating new schools or reimagining schools, but destroying schools that do nothing but harm black and brown children. They're they destroying that. schools yeah. that do nothing but harm black and brown children. Man, there's so much to hate in that whole thing, that whole story. So we uh, sprayed with a fire hose, as Joe said, money at schools all across the country because of COVID, which is now mostly over. And uh, and there's almost no talk in there about money to, that has anything to do with COVID. Now, the idea that the kids fell way behind is real, and I can see how you need more money to address that. But only 20% of the money is required to go toward catching kids back up. And by the way, kids wouldn't need to be caught up if you'd have left the schools open, which you could have safely. So you created your own problem, then demanded money to fix your own problem. Anyhow, exactly. I don't want to get confused on that because that's a completely different se- separate topic. But of the billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being thrown at schools, only 20% has to go to catching kids up. What's the other 80% going to be? Well, some of it is this crap, emotional racism or whatever they're calling it. And and before we uh, get back to that crap, I've got to point out, what does it mean, $20 billion to catch kids up? Isn't all of education getting kids from where they are knowledge-wise to where they're supposed to be? Yeah, why that requires, well, they talked about summer programs. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Summer programs and after-school programs, which could cost more money, but still, and and, and how effective will they be? It's it's so horrible. The whole thing is so horrible. So let's get back to the America-hating racist uh, gal, Brandilyn Tassalt, I think her name is, from the Abolitionist Teaching Network in Clip 51. Dr. Bettina Love, an author and activist, created the Abolitionist Teaching Network in 2020 for what she says is to develop and support educators to fight injustice within their schools and communities. If you don't realize white supremacy is in everything we do, then we got a problem. Love wants white teachers to undergo anti-racist therapy to stop them from what she calls spirit murdering black and brown students. So one of the things that I bring to this work is um, a significant history of trying to trouble my own racial identity and trying to help other white teachers trouble their internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. You you white people that have bought into this crap and are saying things like that, I need to recognize my own white supremacy and... I need to trouble my own beliefs. Yeah, whatever that And help that other means. people trouble theirs. Yeah, you, you people, those people are so crazy. They're I cultists. Mean, they're, they're, yeah, they are. They're cultists. They're like those crazy drank the Kool-Aid and died cult members. They're, you're so crazy. Um, and you're educating kids, which is frightening. And then what was that other term that, uh, they, they brought us there? Spirit murdering. It's a new one on me. Spirit murdering. Schools do nothing but spirit murder black and brown children by asking them to be on time or come up with the right answer. And if you don't think everything in our current system is white supremacy, then you got a problem. Okay. Boy, who did I, who was I reading the other day? It was a, a, a black man. Oh, who the heck was it? Who said, 
that they're trying to deny us technology, data, and logical thinking, which is the only way to get ahead and reduce us to emotional thinking and emotional learning, which is how to enslave a people, take away from them the capabilities to actually excel in the modern world and convince them that the only thing that matters is feelings. And I thought that was really a great point. Yeah, we've got a black representative who's going to talk about this once we get through all these clips. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. And they're, so they're aggressively indoctrinating in schools. Here's a, a clip that explains how 52. Fox News also found the group hired paid activists across the country whose job they say is going into schools to dismantle oppressive structures by mapping, canvassing, building groups and coalitions, creating media and propaganda. Education cannot save us. We must save education. I want us to be feared. For example, if teachers find school uniforms to be oppressive, ATN would send in their activists to help abolish them. You call us, we will fund an activist in residence, and he or she or they will find out how. They'll do the research, they'll do all the organizing, teachers and parents show up, and we dismantle. And we hope to have hundreds of them around the country doing this work. And James Lindsay on his fabulous Twitter feed has talked about this a lot, how they are organized enough and they realize so few people show up to school board meetings and all that sort of stuff that they, they swarm a school board meeting and get things through before you even know what happened. You know, either get books removed, programs removed, or get things into your school that you don't want before even you even know what happened. Wow. And the school boards are just cowed into it. They're just better organized. Yeah, yeah, that was his point, really. It's kind of like what we're always talking about. Don't be so scared of three loud voices on Twitter or, you know, a whole bunch of tweets that come from one person. Uh, the school boards need to catch on. Uh, God, I wish I remembered exactly what it was. I think it was removal of a program that was called racist. But it was like three people complained, and the school board bent over backwards to satisfy three people that made a big deal with emails and calls and showing up to meetings. All right, we've almost buried the lead here, and and this is important. The fact that this group exists is surprising. The fact that they have any traction and are getting into schools is disgusting. But when the Biden administration was confronted by Fox News saying, hey, what do you have a link to this organization for? These people are radicals. I mean, they are seriously out of their minds. A Department of Education spokesman told them it was an error. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. And the follow-up was, what, what do you mean a mistake? Who made the mistake? In what sense was it a mistake from your point of view? Why is it in there? And they clammed up. Now, it is worth knowing that the Deputy Education Secretary... Uh, who used to head up the San Diego school system, Cindy Martin, is an old buddy of Bettina Love, that radical who was talking about spirit-murdering black and brown children. Hired her for $11,000 for a speaking event for San Diego schools. And she's good buddies with the acting assistant secretary who is also... who. Uh, ...guide when it was published. So all of them are buddies. And yet it was a mistake to include that. This reminds me so much of the, the few tapes we heard, but we heard accounts of more, where teachers said to the kids, there's no need to uh, mention your parents, the change in the syllabus, or uh, there's no need to bring this up at home because some of your parents uh, may be racists and, and wouldn't like it, so we'll just keep it between us. It's so scary. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And so the idea that you accidentally had this link and everything is just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Bullshit. 
Uh, do you want to hear from Representative Byron uh, Donalds of Florida? Sure. Hit it. I fully believe in diversity and inclusion, but what I do not believe and I do not stand for is this thought process that the country is irreparably racist and that white people are irreparably racist and there's nothing they can ever do except become anti-racist and address their white fragility. That is insane. It is divisive. It is not going to help our country become the more perfect union, which we frankly already are. I know you can't tell people's races from the radio and it shouldn't matter, but... Uh, that was a black member of the House of Representatives, and a little bit earlier, you heard a white teacher saying that. Just <laughs> she, you're you're every bit as crazy as the people who went to Ghana and drank the Kool Aid. I mean, you're that crazy with that whole what? What's that term she used? I need to. Uh, oh, I need to trouble my. Yeah. Uh, what's it? If you can, hey, uh, Hanson, if you can just isolate her, I would just, like to be able to play that again. Yeah, because that is just so amazing. Um, uh, the, 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 the white crowd, and you, you saw this with some of the people that were kneeling before Black Lives Matters, uh, protesters at restaurants in Washington, D.C., just with a smile on their face, like weird cultists. They're so happy to talk about how I'm a racist, I'm a white supremacist, and I'm wrong about everything, and I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm but, complying, I'm complying. It's so weird. And I got to admit, the uh, Ibram X. Kendi's and the uh, Robin D'Angelo's of the world, it was clever to come up with the term white fragility in the way they use it. It's like I uh, go, uh, I come home, I, I tell Judy, hey, I'm going to buy uh, $5,000 golf clubs, a boat, and I've got a girlfriend. And she says, whoa, whoa, maybe, no, and are you insane? And I say, oh, it's wife fragility. You object to these things which I'm proposing, which really objectively viewed are freaking nuts. And in the case of the white thing, the, the, the racist thing, they're clearly racist. But I say, oh, white fragility. Mm-hmm. And just nod my head like I just, ooh, I owned you. Look at me, wife fragility. It doesn't, oh, I almost dropped an F-bomb. That would have been exciting. <laughs> We've got a dump button for people listening on the air, but people online would have heard it. That is blanking meaningless. Right. It is, it is pretty clever. The whole anti-racist thing was clever because it oh, yeah. sounds perfectly fine, but it's not at all perfectly fine. And uh, you slip it by a whole bunch of politicians and, and, and news uh, talking heads on the news before they realize what it is. And yeah, and the white fragility, very clever. The, oh, you don't agree with me because you're so weak. I mean, it's kind of a catch. <laughs> There's no way you can get out of that. Well, and what's so crazy about it is if, you know, getting back to the, uh, the, the, and the more you don't agree with me, the weaker you are. I mean, that's a hilarious right. premise. Right. Yeah. And getting back to the, uh, the marital metaphor, it's as if I unveiled a new program of every time Judy annoys me, I shove her and I call it the anti-domestic violence program. I'm an anti-domestic violenceist and I'm going to do it by showing how violent I am. Just like these so-called anti-racists are the most raving, bold-faced, proud racists I've seen since the Klan's resurgence in the 1920s. So back to the idea that this was a mistake, this link was a mistake from the Biden administration. How are you feeling about that? Hilarious. No, surely the people in charge are associated with this gal. They paid her five figures to show up and speak. God, at some level in the Biden administration, though, they had to know that this would have been radioactive. It it could be that these activist uh, Department of Education people uh, wanted it in there, and it was supposed to be removed because somebody above their head said, 
either said, this stuff is repugnant, which I doubt, or said, that's nah, too hot. It reminds me of Barack Obama saying, no, we don't want socialized medicine. But then behind closed doors, he'd say, look, we got to get it halfway there to get there. So let's mm-hmm. just pretend we're not going all the way. So, yeah, it's it's horrific. Public schools are a cesspool of Marxist indoctrination right now. It's shocking. You probably. So one of the things that I bring to this work is um, a significant history of trying to trouble my own racial identity and trying to help other white teachers trouble their internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And she's got that wide-eyed look of the cultist. This, oh, yeah. She's so yeah. enthused about talking about how racist she is. What a lunatic. Yeah, complete loon. I was talking about how I need to come to Jesus moment about uh, my eating and my exercise. I've just gone off a cliff. After being really, really dedicated for like a full year, I've just gone off a cliff. And I either need people to say, I need somebody to say something to me about it that hurts my feelings, or yes. I need a picture, an unflattering picture. Got to be cruel to be kind. Of course, ah! of course, if you ask people to say unkind, people say unkind <laughs> things on the text line anyway. But if you ask for it, you're going to get plenty. <laughs> yeah, go on Twitter and ask people to be unkind. Yeah, I'll put up a picture of myself and have at it. Uh, Jack, you fat sloth, go work out and stop eating donuts, one texter said. Also this one, I work in the same town you live in, saw you at Baskin Robbins again. This is your come to Jesus moment. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> saw you at Baskin Robbins again. That's too high. I've been there a number of times in the last couple of months with my kids, but of course I get ice cream while I'm there. And speaking of space, uh, coming up this weekend, we've got a full buck moon. Yes. So there you go. The full buck moon. Whatever the heck that is. Jack trying to sell us his phony moons again. Come on. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Funny the thing with a whole cologne and perfume. I was a. Uh, I'll be very vague about this. I almost said something terrible. Anyway, I came in contact with a person. <laughs> Go ahead. The other day, I, I didn't come very close in contact with them, but I was bowled over by their uh, cologne, and I just yeah. thought, you know, did you start that way, or did you just like? Is it like tanning? Where you get used to how tan you, some people they get used to how tan they are and they feel like they're not tan enough and the next day right. you know, they're a different race. They're uh, a catcher's mitt. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, is that way with cologne? You just like, you first time you put it on, you kind of noticed it and then you have to, you get used to it and you have to keep increasing it. I don't know. I I think maybe so. Yeah, because you don't you don't smell it anymore because you lose sensitivity to smells. But uh, we got in the car with some folks the other day, and I I got the unmistakable whiff of cologne, and my opinion of the human being in question <laughs> dropped. And and it it probably shouldn't. Well, it does it does seem to go with certain personality traits, doesn't it? I don't know if I can nail them down, but. I don't think there's a hundred percent correlation. No. Oh, That's what I'm saying. Absolutely not. Right, right. You can't even if sixty-five percent, two thirds of cologne wearers are somewhat dishy. Um, you can't assume <laughs> that. What are the personality traits of cologne guy? Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. An aggressive sense. What are the well, now- common personality traits of cologne guy? I I remember back was it the eighties, the nineties? It was pretty common. Uh, to just have a little bit of cologne, but I, I, I drifted away. I ended up throwing, I had bottles of decades old, like nice cologne, uh, that I finally just threw away. I think it had more to do with me, um, I don't know, when I became a married guy, I stopped wearing cologne. I don't know. I couldn't consistently remember, so it was difficult for me to become cologne guy. 
Well, the key, the key, folks, if you choose to become a colonist. That's funny. You know, uh, this, this might have been a turning point. I just thought of it. I remember it. It's uh, horrifying and embarrassing. Uh, a girlfriend said to me, I can tell you the summer of 1990, it would have been July. Um, She dumped me. I knew she was coming over to dump me. Oh, boy. But I still got kind of dressed up and everything like that for some reason. I don't know why. I was hoping hey. she'd change her mind or something. You want to be more impressive and not pathetic. I get it. Anyway, I'm standing on the front porch of this duplex I'm renting, and she pulls up in the driveway, and she gets out of her car, and she says, I can smell you from here. <laughs> oh, boy. Things had soured at that point. <laughs> so I had perhaps overdone the cologne as she could smell me from the driveway. It was the summer of 1990. It just doesn't have the ring. It just doesn't have the romance. My husband has been wearing too much cologne since I met him 25 years ago. He got the COVID. Now he says it smells like smoke, and he stopped wearing it. Yay, says his wife. Well, that's interesting. She feels like he's been wearing too much cologne since she first met him, but she and married yet. him, and, uh, you know. And they're together. Yeah. So well, fun. we all have flaws. I mean. I suppose that's one you could overlook, depending on the cologne. My stinky 12-year-old thinks you should put on deodorant like cologne. You spray it and walk into it. <laughs> I've known people who did that. That's interesting. You make kind of a cloud of the the, 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 the droplets, and then you walk into it. Well, and now you got a generation of lads who are convinced that they need Axe body spray all over them and that the girls will go goo-goo for them if they do it. They won't, fellas. Trust me. Cologne guy calls women sweetheart. Cologne guy is trying to hide the smell of alcohol sometimes. There's a little of that. I've known a few mm. cologne guys that were drink all day guys. <laughs> does that work? Asking for a friend. I don't know. I'll bet, I it, I'll, I'll bet it does. I'm as sober as a judge until the evening hours. And then you're not. And then I'm not. <laughs> exactly. And when, what's it to you? Yeah. How about you mind your own business there? Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> 